Please open your Bible to uh, Revelation chapter 22, very last chapter in the Bible in God's Word, Revelation 22. It is uh, hard to believe that we have arrived at the final message in our Looking to Jesus series this morning. Uh, Fifty weeks ago, uh, we began this series with the very first words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And today we conclude this series with the final words of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22. And it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? We have seen God's glory. We have seen his power, his faithfulness, his love, his grace toward undeserving sinners like us. And we have seen the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And we'll see that again in our passage today in Revelation 22. So let's have our Bibles open uh, to that passage. Follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 6. And down through to the end at verse 21. Revelation 22, starting at verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The point of this passage quickly becomes clear as you read through it. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. Notice that that one reality is repeated almost verbatim three times through this final section of God's word. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Down to verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. And then again down to verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Loved ones, this is good news for us. Jesus Christ is coming soon. The entire book up to this point, including what we just read at the very end of God's word, is the revelation of Of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is what we call an apocalyptic book. Sometimes that word apocalypse has often been associated with chaos and confusion and destruction, but the word simply means disclosure. 
means unveiling. It means to reveal something. And so, uh, to put it in a very simple way, the book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, turn back in your Bible, if you would, uh, to Revelation chapter 1, and look at the very first words of this book in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So notice there in verse 1, this is not just any revelation. This is not just any unveiling. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's given through his servant, the apostle John, as Revelation 1 would go on to explain. And this revelation centers around the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again, and he is coming soon. Now, we could understand how some might stop at this point and pull back and, and pause a little bit to wonder about this. The book of Revelation was written almost 2,000 years ago, and here we are today, and Jesus still has not come again. I mean, 2,000 years seems pretty slow, right? But remember what the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, uh, up on the screen here for you, speaking specifically uh, of the coming of the Lord. Peter is writing this to Christians to encourage them, and he says, 2 Peter 3, verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's timing is very different from ours, and here's the reason why we should be really thankful for that. Look at the very next verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Isn't that true? Right? Like, we look at 2,000 years, and we count that as slowness, right, according to our timetable, but not according to God's timetable. Verse 9 goes on and says, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Praise the Lord. Like, he is not slow, loved ones. His timing is perfect. His patience is perfect. His patience towards you has been perfect. His patience towards me has been perfect. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you need to understand that what you are experiencing right here, right now, in this moment, is the perfect patience of Jesus Christ toward you in your life. Why? Because he does not want you to perish. He does not want you to die in your sins. He wants you to repent of your sins. He wants you to turn away from your sins and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and for the free gift of eternal life with him. This is the perfect patience of God towards you. In fact, over and over again, the Bible points us to the reality that Jesus could come at any moment. Matthew 25, verse 13, Jesus himself said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You know what that means? That means that when you hear other people tell you that they know the exact day, the exact time, the exact moment, the exact year that Jesus is coming back, the one thing that you can be absolutely guaranteed of in that moment is that Jesus will not come back then because nobody knows the day or the hour. You just don't know. And so they can predict all they want, but he's not going to come back then. Luke 12, verse 40. Again, Jesus said, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Nobody knows the exact moment that he will return, but we do know that he is coming again. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2. 
For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That day is coming, and that day is going to come unexpectedly, just like a thief in the night, just like a thief comes at a time when no one will know, so will be the day that Jesus comes again like a thief in the night. So loved ones, listen so carefully. It does not get any more important than this. We don't know when he is coming, but we do know that he is coming. We're talking matters of life and eternity here. So this is for every person sitting here in this room right now. It doesn't matter how young or how old. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what our week has been like. This is for everybody sitting here in this room right now. Hey, 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 listen, listen. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for him to return? That brings us now to our passage in Revelation 22. Four ways that we can make sure that we are ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. But before we get to that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is perfect and your word has been given to us to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us in righteousness. So Lord, I ask in this moment right now, as we open your word, would you do those things for us? by the power of the Spirit of God. Oh, Spirit of God, would you come right now and fill us, fill this place. Lead us in the way that you want us to go. Teach us what we need to know. Show us what we need to see. Say to us what we need to hear. God, I confess to you my weakness. Confess to you my inability. Lord, I have nothing apart from what you have given to me. And Lord, as a people, we are weak. As a people, we are insufficient for these things. So I pray, Spirit of God, would you strengthen us? Would you fill us? Would you help us today, right here, right now? Lord, we trust in you. Speak your message to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, four ways to make sure that we are ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Here's number one. Jesus Christ is coming soon, therefore I must obey God's word. Jesus Christ is coming soon, therefore I must obey God's word. Verse 6 begins this way, and he said to me. So let's take a moment here and let's define who uh, these people are. First of all, verse 6 says he, uh, he is the angel that is mentioned back in chapter 21 and verse 9. It's one of the angels that are showing all of these things in this revelation to the apostle John. So he says, verse 6, and he, the angel, said to me. The me here is the apostle John. So this angel has shown John all of these things. John has now seen the unveiling of the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ and all of these things through the book of Revelation that must soon take place. And so he says now in verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true. What's really interesting here through these final verses of God's word is how many times God's word is referred to. You notice that? Here in verse six, these words are trustworthy and true. Verse seven, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
Verse 9, with those who keep the words of this book. Verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, isn't it interesting that God's word ends with a defense of God's word? That's pretty amazing. God's word ends with a defense of its authority, its sufficiency, its veracity, in other words, its truthfulness, its clarity, and its necessity. And so the angel says here in verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, this is not made up. Like everything that you've seen, John, in this revelation and, and everything that you've seen, Christian, as you read through this book of Revelation, this is not made up. This is not the product of someone's overactive imagination. This is not some barn burner of a fairy tale. Like this is it. This is exactly the way that it's going to happen. You can count on this. Why? Because these words are trustworthy and true. It's interesting. Some translations take that verse and say these words are faithful and true. And you can take that faithful and true and go back to chapter 19, verse 11, where a person is described as being faithful and true. And chapter 19, verse 11 describes Jesus as being faithful and true. And so now the angel comes along and says, John, listen, you can take everything that you've seen, everything that you've heard, and you can know that these words are faithful and true. Why? Because these are the words of Jesus himself. These are the words of the one who himself is faithful and true. So on the face of it, the angel is speaking specifically about this revelation that John has seen throughout this book. But then almost as if to expand the scope of it, he continues in verse six. He says, and the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So see what he's saying here. The God who directed all of the prophets through the Old Testament is the same God who has said that all of these things must soon take place. So think about this. Put this into perspective for us today. We're coming into Christmas now in the next couple of days. And, and think of all of the prophecies through the Old Testament that said the Messiah would come. The Savior would come. And, and this is who he is. And this is what he will be like. And this is what he will do for you. And, and this is what you can look for. And this is where he will be born. Like Think of all of the prophecies that are perfectly fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And then think of all of the other hundreds of prophecies that talk about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like all of those prophecies through the Old Testament and every single one of them has come to pass in absolute perfection. And loved ones, that's why we can be confident that Jesus Christ will come again. That if he can come the first time just like he said that he would, then he will come the second time just like he said that he will. You can be confident that everything that God says in his word is absolutely trustworthy and true, which leads us straight into what Jesus says now in verse 7. It says, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So here's our instruction. God's blessing is for the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That word keeps has a couple of meanings. It can mean to guard something. It can mean to preserve something. That is, don't let anyone convince you that Jesus is not coming again. 
Like, don't, don't be led astray. Don't be fooled. No matter how chaotic it gets around you, no matter what's going on around you, don't let anybody else come to you and try to convince you that what you've seen and heard here is not true. Just guard it and preserve it. It can have that meaning, but the primary meaning of the word here in this passage is to obey. Blessed is the one who obeys the words of the prophecy of this book. So what does our obedience look like? Blessed is the one who keeps, who obeys the words of the prophecy of this book. So just think of the prophecy that John has heard and seen through this book. John is writing this down for Christians who are part of churches who are suffering persecution. They're being assaulted by false teaching and some are being captivated more by the things of the world than they are by the things of Jesus Christ. And he's writing this down now to draw these Christians back to Jesus Christ. He's reminding them that this world is not all that there is, that underneath the struggles that they face is a deeper spiritual battle that they don't see, and that they can be confident that there's a greater world that still awaits them. And so now he's saying to them, live your life in light of that. Live your life in light of everything that has been revealed in this revelation. And so what does our obedience to the words of this book look like? He's saying, endure patiently through suffering and hardship in this life for the sake of Christ. That's what your obedience looks like. He's saying, repent of your sin and trust in Christ for all that you need. That's what your obedience looks like. He's saying, long for your first love in Jesus Christ. That's what your obedience looks like. He's saying, put away all forms of immorality and hold fast to Jesus Christ. He's saying, live your life like you desire the glory of heaven and you shudder at the horror of hell. He's saying, yearn for the moment when we will sit around the throne of God and we will sing praises to the Lamb. He's saying, live in a way that you long for your resurrection body. Can I get an amen to that? Like seriously, right? Like so many times, just even the last little while, man, I'm praying, Lord, please come and give me my resurrection body. Like this is not working the way it's supposed to and making noises that it's not supposed to and like just stuff happening. Lord, please come back. Like just long, long for your resurrection body. Fear the wrath of God and the judgment of the wicked and let that fill you with a zeal for the lost. Proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it. This is what our obedience looks like. Grieve over your sin and long for the day when your sin and my sin will be fully and finally put away forever. Long for the power and the glory of Jesus Christ in your life above everything else. Listen, what does our obedience look like? It means living this life in a way that we long for that moment when we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Like all the things that are wrapped up in this book of this prophecy. What he's saying here is live your life like you are unashamedly longing for Jesus to come again. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus is coming soon. Therefore, I must obey God's word. Number two, Jesus is coming soon. Therefore, I must worship God alone. I must worship God alone. These now are the words of John again in verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. 
I think this is uh, likely one of those moments where John is so completely and utterly overwhelmed by everything that Jesus Christ has just revealed to him that he forgets where he is, forgets who he's with. He just falls down and he starts worshiping this angel who is showing these things to him. And I mean, think about it. Who among us wouldn't be overwhelmed by that too, right? Like if we caught even just, even just a glimpse of everything that John sees here in this revelation, who among us wouldn't completely crumble? But then the angel clarifies something important. The angel says that for all of his supernatural qualities and responsibilities, that he too is a fellow servant of God. And he too falls under the power and the authority of God to do the work that will bring glory to Jesus Christ. So notice the pattern that unfolds here. Verse eight, John has heard and seen. So two important words there. He has heard and seen the power and the glory of Jesus Christ and it leads him to worship. And that's the pattern all the way through this book. Chapter four, John gets a glimpse of the throne of heaven and it leads him to worship. Chapter five, Christ is found to be worthy to open the scroll and it leads to worship. Chapter seven, a great multitude that no one can number is gathered around the throne and they see Jesus for who he is and it leads to worship. Chapter 15 and chapter 19, again, they see Christ for who he is and it leads them to worship. This is the pattern. So when John heard and saw the power and the glory of Jesus Christ, it led him to worship God. Do we get that? Do we get that one of the true marks of a person who understands and believes that Jesus Christ is coming again soon is an all-consuming worship of God within our lives? That because I believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon, that I simply don't have the spiritual time or the spiritual energy to give my life to worshiping the false gods around me, to worshiping the false gods of this world. That, that to think that the all-consuming or even the partly-consuming pursuit in my life of things like money or power or reputation or the need to be liked or, or this or that, whatever it is, that the all-consuming pursuit of those things actually leads to an ever-increasing apathy for the eternal things within my life. Like, do I get that as a worshiper of Jesus Christ, that's not what my life is for? Like, think about it, loved ones. We have seen and we have heard the power and the glory of Jesus Christ within our lives. So many times we have seen and heard the power and the glory of Jesus Christ within the life of this church. And you've seen it within your life. Let's start with the fact that Jesus Christ raises us from being spiritually dead in our sins and gives us new life in him. Like we have seen and heard the power and the glory of Jesus Christ within our life. Let's think about all of the countless numbers of prayers that are answered in this room, represented among the lives in this room right now. God just answering prayers, pouring out his grace. We have seen and heard the power and the glory of Jesus Christ within our lives over and over again. We've seen his protection. We've seen his provision. We have seen his deliverance. We have seen his direction. We have seen blessing after blessing after blessing. We have seen and heard the power and the glory of Jesus Christ within our lives. But think about this. So now, here we are sitting here this morning with our Bibles open in front of us to Revelation 22. And we now have been given a peek behind the curtain of eternity. Like, just think about that. We have seen that 
sin will be defeated. And that the effects of sin will be erased. And that the enemy will be forever defeated. And that wickedness will be no more. And that Christ will be eternally glorified. Like we have seen Jesus Christ for who he really is. And we have been given the assurance that he is coming again soon. So do we get this? Does the reality that he is coming again for us lead us to an all-consuming worship of God? I have this, um, this little piece of paper taped to the inside cover of my Bible. And when, um, when I go through times that are hard or uh, especially difficult or dark. Uh, I've got a, a few passages in God's word that are my go-tos. And um, I've got some favorites that God has used over the years and, and very recently even to speak very powerfully into my life. And I'd encourage you, you need those go-tos. Like, you've got to have them. And, and I've got mine. And, and um, I don't know about you, but... When you go through difficult times, when you go through hardship in your life, if you're anything like me, man, those are the times where you are fervently praying, Lord, come now, right? Like, come, Lord Jesus, just come now. Like, I'm being serious. Like, I, I don't pray more fervently than in those times of difficulty and hardship. Lord, come and rescue us. Come and deliver us from the sin, deliver us from the brokenness, deliver us from the effects of sin all around us so that we can be forever with you. Lord, just come and take us to be with you. And and so I've got this piece of paper taped to the inside cover of my Bible, and, and when I'm going through those hard times, and it's especially difficult, I go to my go-tos in God's Word, and then I read uh, this, what I have on this piece of paper, and, and I read a few other things too, but this God has used in an especially powerful way. It's a hymn uh, by a guy named William Cooper. And he lived in the 1700s, and he wrote a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And there's a bunch of verses to the hymn, but um, I've just got one here that, that God has used. Let me just read it for you. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And I go to my go-tos, and, and then I read that, and my heart is just filled with worship for God. Lord, I worship you because you are sovereign in my suffering. Lord, I worship you because you have a purpose in my pain. Lord, I worship you because your timing is perfect. Lord, I worship you because you are coming again. And there is a day where you will come and you will rescue us and you will deliver us from the sin and the brokenness and the effects of sin that we see all around us and we will forever be in your presence free from these things and worshiping you for all of eternity. Need that. If we believe that Jesus Christ is coming 
soon in power and in glory, and that all of these things through the book of Revelation must soon take place, then the mark of a person who truly believes that is a life of worship. We must worship God alone. Here's the third way to make sure that we're ready for the coming of Christ. Jesus is coming soon, therefore I must not keep this good news to myself. I must not keep this good news to myself. Verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. In other words, don't keep to yourself everything that you've seen and heard, everything that you know to be trustworthy and true because the end is near, the time is coming. Verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Admittedly, this is a bit of a difficult statement to understand. Surely this angel cannot be showing such a casual indifference to the lostness of so many people. So what exactly is he saying here? This is a declaration of reality. It's a declaration of where people's hearts truly are. In other words, People hear that Jesus is coming again soon. They hear these things in the book of Revelation and it doesn't really change the way that they live their lives. And so the evil and the filth that they do now, they will continue to do for all of eternity. But on the other hand, the same is true for the righteous. They'll hear these things in the book of Revelation that Jesus is coming again soon and it'll heighten their affections for Jesus much like it should be for us right now. And it'll bring about a growing passion for Jesus within our lives and that will continue on into eternity as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but at the same time, you also wouldn't characterize your life with words like evil and filthy. And here's the thing. When the Bible uses words like evil and filth in certain contexts, it's not just talking um, just about the things that we do. It's talking about the core of who we are. It's talking about sin. And sin is what has the ability to separate us from God. Sin is what has the ability to separate us from God forever unless, by the grace of God, we turn away from our sin and turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And only that has the ability to take us from being evil and filthy to being righteous and holy. Now, why does that matter so much? We'll take a look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is bringing his recompense. Other translations call it his reward. He is bringing his reward. Now, notice how all of this comes together. Verse 13, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. So Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, which uh, John's readers would have been familiar with. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And then he basically says the same thing twice, uh, twice more. Jesus is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. In other words, Jesus Christ knows all things. Jesus Christ encompasses all things. Jesus Christ has authority over all things. He sees all things. What Jesus Christ begins, Jesus Christ will finish. The good work that he began in you, Philippians 1 verse 6, he will bring it to completion. Now what this means then is that Jesus Christ, verse 11, he sees all the righteousness and he sees all the holiness. 
He sees all of the things that are done for him that other people can see. And he sees all of the things that are done for him that nobody else will ever see. And when he comes again, he will bring his reward to give to each one for what he has done. This is what should motivate us then away from a life of evil and filth and toward a life of holiness and righteousness. The Apostle Paul talked about the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Up on the screen for you, it says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, think for a minute about how it works at the Olympics. And the athletes stand on those platforms to get their medals. That's the picture that Paul has in mind here in 2 Corinthians 5. We stand before Jesus to receive our rewards for what we have done for him in this life. Now, to be clear... This is not a judgment of where we will spend eternity. This is not judging whether or not our sins have been forgiven. That has been dealt with completely and finally at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is talking about how we use this life that we have in order to glorify Jesus Christ. And the rewards that he gives us will be based on how we use what we have been given in order to glorify him, as opposed to doing things in our lives with this life that have no eternal value. So think about this, loved ones. We have been given this message that we are told to not keep to ourselves because the time is near, because Jesus is coming again soon. And some of the people who first read this book of Revelation, they experienced hardship. They experience suffering and persecution because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. So think about this. John is writing all these things down. He's passing it on to these Christians. And the encouragement of Jesus Christ to them and the encouragement of Jesus Christ to us is that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end what that means then is that he sees every moment of your hardship. He sees every moment of your suffering. He sees the persecution that you endure because of your commitment to him. He sees every moment of every opportunity of how we use this life to bring eternal glory to him. And that needs to matter to us. Why? Because he's coming again soon. And he's bringing his reward with him. Let me ask you, how are you using your life for him? I mean, put it into the context of, of the book of Revelation. How are you using your suffering for him? How are you using your persecution for him? How are you using your service for him? How are you using your life for him? And then verse 14 tells us why we cannot keep this message to ourselves. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. In other words, truly happy are those who have been forgiven of their sins. I mean, this is the good news of great joy at Christmas, right? Our true happiness comes not from our circumstances. Our true happiness comes not from time off work or a present under the tree, but rather it flows from the reality that we have been forgiven by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. This, oh, loved ones, this is amazing. Notice here that the curse has been reversed. Remember that curse like 48 weeks ago, right, in our series? Genesis chapter 3. Remember all the way back then? 
curse where Adam and Eve sinned and they were removed from the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was, that curse has been overcome by the Messiah who has now come. And now all who believe in him have eternal life and they can enter into the new Jerusalem. They can enter into the new heavens and the new earth. And what gives them access is that their robes have been washed. The guilt of their sin has been removed by the shed blood of the crucified and the risen Savior. Loved ones, do not keep this message to yourself. We can't. Why? Because verse 15 Verse 15, outside are the dogs, the people of lowest character and impure mind, and sorcerers, those involved in the magical arts, the sexually immoral, those who indulge in lustful behavior, murderers and idolaters, those who worship false gods, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Listen, friends. This is leading us to a place where we need to see that at one time, we were all standing on the outside looking in. Okay, can you see that? We were all at a place where we were living to satisfy our own evil desires. And it's leading us now to a place where we need to realize that we cannot change ourselves. We can't simply flip a switch that takes us from being evil and filthy to being righteous and holy. We can't just go from dirty robes to clean robes all by ourselves. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter that you come to church on Christmas weekend. It doesn't matter what you try to do. We can't do this. We can't change ourselves. But the great thing about this passage is that it's pointing us to someone supernatural who can change these things for us, which leads us now to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. So notice here how loving Jesus Christ is. He loves us so much that he wants us to know that there's a way for our dirty robes to be made clean. Verse 16, I am the root of and the descendant of David. So here comes the someone supernatural to do this work in us. Okay, so see this here. Notice the prophecy that is fulfilled just in that one sentence. Jesus is the root of David. That's a fulfillment of Isaiah 11, uh, verse 1, that says he is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root that bears fruit. At the same time, Jesus is the descendant of David. That's a prophecy fulfilled, uh, that's fulfilled uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where Jesus is prophesied as the offspring of David. So notice this now. Jesus is the root of David, meaning Jesus is the one who brought David into this world. At the same time, Jesus is the descendant of David, meaning Jesus himself came into this world through the line of David. That's Christmas right there. And then see this again, Jesus is the root of David, speaking to his divinity, he has existed eternally and gave life to David, but then at the same time, Jesus is the descendant of David, speaking not to his divinity this time, but to his humanity, he came into the world to live among us, Merry Christmas again. Like, how amazing is this, right? This is so awesome. Verse 16 goes on and says that he is the bright morning star. That's a fulfillment of another prophecy. Jesus is the star that is prophesied in Numbers 24, verse 17. The morning star is the brightest of all the stars. 
So the morning star announces the arrival of a new day, and Jesus Christ shines the brightest of all, and with his arrival, he is announcing that it is a new day in him. Like, I'm, I'm sure, in a crowd this size, there's got to be some of us here this morning who are discouraged and we feel defeated, maybe feel lonely, maybe Christmas is a little bit of a difficult time. I get that. I understand that. And regardless of what may be causing those emotions in you, can I encourage you today, like I have had to encourage myself a number of times, even over the past little while, fix your eyes on Jesus. Like, look at this passage and see who Jesus is. See what Jesus has done. Rest in all that Jesus has promised and realize that even in spite of what you might be going through right now, even in spite of what your past may have been like or what your future, you, what you think your future holds, like you need to understand, we need to understand, loved ones, that it is a new day in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and I don't know what you think about God. I don't know what you think about church. I don't know what you think about Christmas. Maybe you think a lot of what we've been talking about these last few minutes is just kind of fluff. Can I just say this is not fluff. This is life and death. And maybe... Maybe even you've been looking to some of the things that we just read in verse 15. Like, you've been looking to things like immorality. You've been looking to things like idolatry. You've been chasing after the things of this world, and and you've been going hard after those things to try and find some kind of fulfillment, but you just end up finding what the Bible says is actually true. It leaves you feeling like you're still on the outside. You're just on the outside looking in, like you're relentlessly pursuing this fulfillment, but you just keep missing it. And can I encourage you this morning, the only way you're going to find that fulfillment in your life, the only way that that void in your heart is truly going to be filled is by turning away from chasing all of those other things and fix your eyes on Jesus. Like, look to Jesus, run to Jesus, turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you trust in him, you are made new. When you trust in him, you are washed clean. It is a new day. It is a new opportunity. It is a brand new life in Jesus Christ, which is the heart of verse 17. Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Spirit of God and the bride, which is the church of Jesus Christ, together say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, why does the Spirit of God say this? Because the Spirit of God, just like us as the bride of Christ, we long for our struggle with this sinful world to finally be over. We long for the glory of Jesus Christ to be forever displayed. Verse 17. And let the one who hears say, come. Again, let the one who hears the prophecy of this book, let the one who who read these words when John wrote them and gave them to the churches in, in Revelation, let the one who hears the words of this book this morning say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty Let the one who desires, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so notice here, the focus turns a little bit towards unbelievers to come to Jesus. Notice this. It says, let the one, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one 
who desires, take the water of life without price. Notice this, anyone who wants to come to Christ may come. Anyone. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. It doesn't matter what you think is holding you back from being in a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't matter. Let anyone, let, let the one who is thirsty come. Let anyone who realizes that they have a need that they cannot satisfy on their own, let the one who recognizes the dry desert of their spirit, let them come and turn to Christ who freely gives this water to all who are thirsty and there is no price. That's the beauty of the gospel. There is no price. This is the free gift of God's grace to you and to me through Jesus Christ that we would turn to him. It is the free gift of God for the truly thirsty soul. I mean, just think about this. This is the call of God all the way through the Bible. Isaiah 55, verse one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Here it is, without money and without price. It's the good news of the gospel. It's free. You don't have to do anything for it. All you need to do is come and he will give and he will fill you to overflowing because that's his grace. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come. Beautiful thing about this invitation is that it doesn't matter what is making your soul thirsty. What matters is that only Jesus can satisfy any thirst that there is. Jesus is coming soon, loved ones. He is coming soon, and we are surrounded by a lost and dying world, and this is the message that we need to keep preaching to ourselves over and over and over again. Jesus is coming soon. Therefore, I must not keep this message to myself. One last point, number four. Jesus is coming soon, therefore I must not compromise this book. I must not compromise this book. Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. It was customary for an author to end his letters this way. This was not necessarily unique to John. He would uh, do so as a warning for anyone who tried to tamper with the content of what he wrote. And this is simply magnified when we consider that this is the word of God. Like We do not add to or take away from this book because this book is the authority of God. This book is the revelation of God. And, and these last couple of verses here are pointing us toward the permanence of what God has said in his word. I love this verse in Isaiah 40, verse 8. You might be familiar with it. Notice the value that God himself places on the permanence of his word. He says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God wrote this book. And he wrote it perfectly. And he gave us the book of Revelation to prepare us for the return of Christ. So don't miss this here. Verse 18, this truly is a warning. If a person tries to add to what God has said or to take away from what God has said and try to make it something that it doesn't mean, that reflects a heart of unbelief. 
It reflects a belief in a person's heart that God is not enough, that God is not authoritative, and ultimately it reflects a heart that is far from the heart of Jesus Christ because it's a heart that is arrogant toward God. And the consequences are grave. He says, whoever tries to add uh, has the plagues added to them, and whoever tries to take away has everything that was promised in verse 14, the right to the tree of life and entrance into the city, all of that is taken away. So we do not add to or subtract from this book to try to offer a message to people that we care about that we think will be easier for them to accept. Think about this. We gladly tell people that Jesus loves us and that he died for us and that he rose again and, and that he's full of grace and truth. But at the same time, we cannot shy away from the picture of Jesus that is being painted here in the book of Revelation. We can't shy away from the reality that Jesus is coming as the judge, that he's coming as the king who has full authority over everything. And there will come a point where all of those who do not believe in him will be cast into an eternity apart from the presence of God. Like we can't hold that back just because it sounds too harsh or because we're afraid of what other people might think of it. The word of God reveals every part of the perfect character of God. And it's not ours to tamper with. So verse 20, he says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. One last time. Jesus promises he's coming soon. He who is faithful and true has promised that he is coming soon, to which we respond, amen. Translated, let it be so. Let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse 21 brings it all to its conclusion. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Isn't it a blessing that the final sentence of the Bible points us one more time to the grace of Jesus Christ? To the unmerited, undeserved favor of God in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. After all that John has experienced, after all that these people that he gave this letter to have been through, he comes back to grace. Like, put yourself for a minute in their position as they're reading this letter from John. Put yourself back in that first century and you're getting this letter and you're, you're gonna realize pretty quickly that their world lines up pretty close to ours as well. Like, what do you need when you're facing the temptations of the world and the enemy? You need the grace of Christ. Like, what do you need when you're tempted to water down the message of this book to make it more appealing to people that you love? You need the grace of Christ. What do you need when you're trying to stand firm in the midst of false teaching around you? You need the grace of Christ. What do you need when you're trying to endure suffering and hardship? You need the grace of Christ. What do you need in order to live like Christ in a world that does not and you're waiting for him to come again? You need the grace of Christ. And notice verse 21. The grace of Jesus Christ is for all. Every circumstance, every situation, every person. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Are you ready?